Hanukai, Hanukai, Yonte Fascheiner, Allustiger, Freilicher, Nitono, Hazener, Alle Nacht in Dreidel spielen mir, Sudike Selatjes essen mir, Geschwind. Hi everyone, welcome back to the Jew Audio Podcast. So, when I ended last week's episode, I forgot that this week is Hanukkah. Which means that we should take a quick break from our discussion of modern Israeli history to talk about ancient Israeli history. So it's still Israel, still counts. Now, because Hanukkah is arguably the most celebrated and most well-known Jewish holiday of the year, at least in America, you probably already know the story. But you might have some of it wrong. The whole oil lasting eight days thing, yeah, never happened. And the thing you light with the candles, called the menorah? Yeah, it's technically not called that. So, in case you don't know much beyond the basic outlines, we've got the complete coverage here for you today. Hanukkah. Where did it come from? What's the story? So, what is that menorah thing called? Stick around. Okay, so before we get into the story of Hanukkah, let's ask where it came from. Where in the Torah do we find this holiday? That was a trick question, because the story of Hanukkah is actually not found in the Torah or anywhere in the Hebrew Bible. It's part of a category of more minor Jewish holidays that are known as rabbinic holidays, or sometimes non-biblical or extra-biblical. They are holidays not found in the Torah, but which the rabbis in the first few centuries of the Common Era deemed worthy of celebration or recognition. Aside from Hanukkah, the few other holidays that fall into this category are generally fast days, commemorating a noteworthy event, such as the destruction of the Temple of Jerusalem in the year 70. So, okay, if Hanukkah is not found in the Torah, then where is it found? And the answer is that the main story was written down in two main books. The first book of Maccabees, which was followed by, in a huge leap of originality, the second book of Maccabees. The Maccabees books are part of a class of books known as the Biblical Apocrypha. The Apocrypha, basically, are ancient books that did not make it into the canonized Hebrew Bible, that is, the version of the Torah that the rabbis eventually settled on as authoritative. However, these Apocrypha books did make it into some early versions of early Hebrew texts, which then became the basis for the Catholic version of the Old Testament. So, Apocrypha are in the Catholic canon, not in the Jewish one, actually they're not in the Protestant one either, but they are accepted in all of these traditions as important historical works. It's confusing. Don't worry too much about it. But the main thing to know is that the books of the Maccabees, where the story of Hanukkah is found, were not included in the definitive versions of the Hebrew Bible. Why? Well, there are several possible reasons, but we have to know the story of Hanukkah before we can understand why it might not have been put in the Torah. But the first and second books of the Maccabees don't quite cover all the ground of what we know today as the Hanukkah tradition. So we actually have some other sources that help us piece together what happened and how to celebrate the holiday. These include the writings of Josephus, who wrote during the first century of the Common Era. We also have detailed discussions in the Talmud, which is where we find the story of the miracle of the oil lasting eight days. 
And there is another somewhat obscure work called the Scroll of Antiochus, probably written in the second century of the Common Era, which also relates the story of Hanukkah and the miracle of the oil. Finally, just to cover all my bases here, there are not two but actually four books of the Maccabees. However, it's only the first two that relate to Hanukkah. The second two actually have very little to do with the famous Maccabees of the Hanukkah stories, so you don't have to read them. But you're probably listening to this podcast because you don't actually want to even read the first two books, which is fine. I mean, it's lazy, but it's fine. So, Hanukkah. By the way, this amazing beat you're hearing is called Hanukkah O Hanukkah by Iran Baron Cohen and Jules Brooks. Love this song. But anyway, back to ancient history. In the year 200 BCE, the Jewish province of Judea, located around its capital city of Jerusalem, came under the control of the Seleucid Empire. Up until that point, Judea had been part of the Ptolemaic Kingdom, which was centered in Egypt. But the Seleucids were a Greek empire centered around Syria, with the mission to spread Hellenism, that is, Greek thought and practice, throughout its empire. We often refer to them as the Syrian Greeks. At its peak, the Seleucid Empire went from modern-day Turkey all the way out to India. At first, things didn't change much for the Jews. As was sometimes the custom in ancient times to prevent unrest in newly conquered territories, the new Seleucid king guaranteed the rights of Jews to live according to their ancestral customs and to continue practicing Judaism at the temple in Jerusalem. But all was not at peace in Judea. For there were two main Jewish factions fighting each other over religious and cultural control over Judaism. It quickly descended into a civil war over who would get to choose the high priest at the Temple of Jerusalem. And the high priest was the most important figure in ancient Judaism. He was like the president, prime minister, and pope all wrapped up into one. Someone with enormous religious, political, economic, and social power. The high priest had enormous sway over the direction of Judaism for not only the time that he was alive, but also for as long as his hereditary dynasty would last, which could mean decades or more of one family being in control. The civil war was between the Egyptian-leaning traditional Jews, like the Maccabees of the Hanukkah story, who wanted to keep things the way they had always been, and the Greek-leaning Jews, who saw in Greek culture a path to modernity and greater prosperity and personal freedom. In doing so, they often adopted the Greeks' polytheistic view of the divine, as opposed to the Jewish monotheistic focus on one eternal God. And by the year 175 BCE, the Seleucid king Antiochus IV Epiphanes decided to intervene in the civil war. It's debated whether he was invited to do so by the Jewish-Greek faction, or whether he seized the opportunity of weak Jewish leadership to grab Judea. What isn't much argued is that Antiochus was, by all accounts, a daft prick. According to the writer Josephus, Antiochus brought a huge army down to Jerusalem, sacked the city, and massacred as many of the traditional Egyptian-oriented Jews as he could find. He outlawed studying Jewish texts and observing Shabbat. But what he did that was worst of all in the eyes of the Jews was defile the temple. In the year 167, he looted it bare, outlawed the practice of Judaism, banned circumcision, and had pigs sacrificed at an altar to Zeus that he had built inside the temple. 
This was not, as we saw a moment ago, standard Seleucid practice, which is why some scholars suggest that he banned Judaism in order to fully cement the power of the Greek-leaning Jews. But wow, that was a huge mistake. Time and again, in this era of Jewish history, we learn that the absolute worst way you can insult the Jews is to outlaw their religious practices, especially to defame the Holy Temple or to prevent their worship of God. So here we have Greek culture being forced upon the Jews in their own country and at the expense of them being allowed to live their own cultural and religious lives. Well, this is not going to stand. And one Jewish priest named Mattathias was determined to do something about it. He and his family were of the traditional order, aligned against these elitist Jews who wanted to assimilate into Greek culture and society. He and his five sons, first they killed the Jew who was preparing to make that pig sacrifice on the orders of Antiochus. Then they started killing Greek officials of the king. Within a year, Mattathias had died, and he was replaced in command by his son Judah, who became known as Hamakabi, the hammer. Hanukkah is a celebration of the righteous and victorious fury of these Maccabees, these hammers, who fought off the Greeks and restored the independence of Judaism. But let's be clear, these guys were also religious fundamentalists who allowed no modernizing compromise with the ancient ways. They brutally slaughtered anyone, Jew or Greek, who either got in their way or failed to join them. After they suffered a massive early defeat on Shabbat, when Antiochus pressed an attack knowing that the Jews would refuse to fight on the day of rest, the Maccabees reinterpreted the Torah to allow them to fight in self-defense. And after just a little over two years, in 165 BCE, they succeeded in their revolt, driving the Greeks out of Jerusalem and restoring the temple. Judah Maccabee ordered the temple be thoroughly cleaned, Zeus ripped down and a new altar put in its place, and in general, the entire temple be made shipshape to resume its holy duties. And to celebrate the victory, the Maccabees initiated a new holiday. 200 years later, Josephus would refer to that holiday not as Hanukkah, but as the Festival of Lights. Hanukkah, by the way, means to dedicate, referring to the dedication of the temple, and that term popped up about 100 years after Josephus, and without much explanation about the holiday or its associated rituals. That came several hundred years later in the Talmud. Also, the revolt of the Maccabees didn't quite end there. The Seleucids and the Maccabees continued skirmishing for a few more years. Judah, considered one of the greatest warriors of Jewish history, was eventually killed in one of these battles. His brother, the Maccabean Jonathan, took over as high priest and formed an alliance with Rome against the Greeks. Another brother, Simon, came next, finally defeating the Greeks and establishing a hereditary dynasty called the Hasmoneans, who ruled Israel until finally defeated themselves by the Romans 37 years before the time of Jesus. After the Hasmonean dynasty collapsed, the Jewish people did not have sovereignty again in the land of Israel until the state of Israel in Okay, but what about the miracle of the oil? Great question, because no doubt part of the legend is true. In order to fully consecrate and rededicate the temple in Jerusalem, the Maccabees did need to find oil to light the menorah. Now the menorah was the lamp used in the temple. 
It had six candle-holding branches, with one in the center, making for a total of seven that were kept lit all day, every day. Because of its use as a central source of light in the temple, it was also the ancient symbol of Judaism. Throughout Israel today, you can tell if an archaeological site was an ancient Jewish town by looking down at your feet as you walk. You will occasionally see a menorah carved into the cobblestones, indicating a place of Jewish residence. Around 600 years after the Maccabean Revolt, a story appeared in the Talmud explaining the legend of the oil. You know it. After searching in vain for enough oil to light the menorah, the Maccabees found just enough for one day. But when they used it, a miracle occurred and it lasted for eight. Now the interesting tidbit here is that actually there was plenty of oil lying around. There was no problem finding enough oil to light things. The problem was that there wasn't enough holy oil to light the menorah. That oil could only come from a special container blessed and sealed by the high priest. But thanks to Antiochus' destruction, the Maccabees only managed to find just one jar of that special oil, which is the oil they ended up using until they could make a new batch of kosher oil, which then took, ahem, eight days. And by the way, that's the source of difference between a menorah and a Hanukkiah. On Hanukkah, you are not lighting a menorah, you are lighting a modified version of the menorah which we call the Hanukkiah, since instead of the seven candle branches in total of the menorah, it has nine. Eight branches for candles for each of the eight days, and a ninth branch in the middle to hold a central candle called the shamash, which is used to light all the other ones. But wait, isn't that why Hanukkah is eight days long? Because if the eight-day miracle of the oil is just a legend from the Middle Ages, then why was the Festival of Lights originally celebrated by the Maccabees as eight days long? The answer comes from a letter written by the Hasmoneans, the descendants of the Maccabees, about 40 years after the revolt. Due to the fighting, the Jews of Judea were unable to celebrate the Sukkot festival in the year 164, which occurs in the fall and lasts, you guessed it, eight days. Upon recapturing Jerusalem and rededicating the temple, the letter says, The Maccabees said, Hey guys, let's celebrate our victory by doing Sukkot now, a couple months late. And that, many scholars argue, is why Hanukkah is really eight days long. let's go back to the beginning. Why didn't the Hanukkah story make it into the Torah, the Hebrew Bible? So there are a bunch of explanations. One is that the books of the Maccabees simply weren't written in time to make it into the accepted list of books of the Torah. That is, either they were written after the Hebrew Bible had already been pretty well edited, or the Bible's editors felt that the Hanukkah story was too recent to be properly included in a book of ancient origins. Another theory proposes that the Hebrew Bible's editors would only accept books written in Hebrew, and the early versions of the books of the Maccabees were written in Aramaic or Greek. This is probably not the case. Scholars are pretty sure that the first book of Maccabees was written in Hebrew, while the second was probably written in Greek. A third idea is that the books were the victim of yet more Jewish infighting that took place in the first century of the Common Era, a couple hundred years after the Maccabees. You might have heard about the Sadducees and the Pharisees, two powerful Jewish clans who were active at the time when the Romans occupied Judea. 
In this interpretation, the Sadducees were the priestly class of Jews who traced their lineage to the Maccabees, while the Pharisees were the more Roman-leaning Jews whose descendants included some of the rabbis who formed the biblical canon. The two sides might not have been able to reconcile the use of the Maccabean literature, so it was just left out altogether. Yet another explanation is that since the holiday was fundamentally not divine, it couldn't be included. That is, everything that happened could be, and was, attributed to acts of man, not God. There were no miracles, really, other than an incredible military victory, but God was not credited with much of a role. One reason why the rabbis might have later added the story of the oil was to give God a role in crafting a miracle. That way we would be justified in celebrating Hanukkah as a religious holiday in which God helped save the Jewish people. But probably the most popular, or at least the closest answer, is that the Maccabees were left out of the biblical canon so as not to upset the Roman Empire. The Hanukkah story is one in which a modern, prosperous, and powerful empire invades Judea and gets beaten by a rough band of fundamentalist rebels. 200 years later, the Jews found themselves in a similar situation with the Roman Empire. But this time the Jews lost, and the temple was destroyed forever. So the Jews may not have wanted to promote a text that would seem to encourage yet more rebellion against the Romans, who were still pretty sore at having to fight the Jews in a nasty war in the first place. Better than to keep our heads down by downgrading the importance of this story. But while the books of the Maccabees were not included in the Hebrew Bible, they were included in a Greek translation of the Torah that was used by the Jews in Egypt. It was this Greek version of the Bible that the Christians later adopted as their version of the Old Testament, thus preserving the books of the Maccabees for the last two millennia. Which means that, as much as we might complain about the Christianization of Hanukkah in America, it is actually thanks to the Catholic Church that the books of the Maccabees survived until now. We otherwise would have been limited in our Hanukkah knowledge to just a few lines in the Talmud. Well, there is so much more to say about the nature of Hanukkah and how we celebrate it in the Jewish community. But I'm out of time, so I'll just say that in the big picture, I think, Hanukkah commemorates the struggle of a minority to live freely in a majority culture. When we step back to consider the historical story, this is what it's about. A minority that rebels against a tyrannical king who tries to use the power of the majority culture to prevent the minority from living freely in their own country. It's tempting to use the phrase religious freedom here, because the struggle in the Hanukkah story is about worshiping God. But it's important to remember that in the ancient world at this time, about 165 BCE, religion and politics and culture weren't really separate things. They were all wrapped up together in life, so that instead of saying religious freedom, we can simply say freedom. Because for the Jews, that's what it was. And like all Jewish traditions, in the land of Israel, the Zionists sought out the elements that exemplified their new ideology of Jewish self-determination and connection to the land. They gave new meaning to Hanukkah, emphasizing the Maccabean warriors defending themselves, their homeland, and their way of life, as modern Israel would do time and again against hostile Arab nations. In fact, next episode, we'll start talking about how the Zionists reached deep into the Jewish past to reconstitute that Maccabean Jewish warrior just in time for World War I.
So however you spell it, happy Hanukkah, everyone. Talk to you next time. Watch your